We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It was a struggle, but in the end, the fighting Lee Masons were able to down a valiant Burnley effort, and they sent Burnley home in a river of their own tears. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I'll level with you guys. We were running short on time to record this podcast. I didn't have anything witty to say to open the pod, so I'm just going to go with that. I'm not going to re-record it. I'm not going to stop to think about it. I recommend you don't either. Um, but yes, the fighting Lee Masons did get the win late. We left it late. But our bald head prevailed. Um, never, never, ever had an, uh, a bad word to say about that guy. Uh, maybe at the time when he denied Hector Bellerin a penalty earlier in the match. But certainly not when he awarded one late in the match. And a well-deserved one, nonetheless. And oh, by the way, I hope you're enjoying, as I have, scrolling through Twitter as all of Twitter, Claret Twitter, uh, moans on and on about how Ramsey falls down in a stiff breeze. I personally think it's hilarious. And so does Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello, indeed. Paul is on Twitter at in my pants. Hello, Paz. Woo-hoo. I am curious to see what uh, a thing I have an opinion on that Poznan in my pants disagrees with. I have a feeling. And, yep, that's what's going to be. Uh, and Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Okay, uh, Scott will be here momentarily to uh, advance my agenda. You'll see what I mean when it happens. In any event, um, so, Tim. Uh, hi. 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 How was Burnley? Yeah, it's okay. Flick a few Where? V's? Cold, uh, give, no comment. Give a few wanker signs? No? Okay, fine, fair enough. Um, <laughs> so we left it late. Look, I, here, here's my, my question to you is, so when when the team sheet came out, it was a Wobie coming in for Ozil who was ill, and I, I don't think you can have many complaints about that, but mm-hmm. the first 30 minutes of this game were really more about us being under the caution, them 
looking like a team that belonged in the table where they were. They they did more of the mm. attacking. They were more fluent, but ultimately it was a lot of aerial balls. It was a lot of crosses. It was a lot of corner kicks. And I think the story of the match, the reason we were in a position to get a result, is the way the the back three and check handled that first half hour barrage. How impressed were you seeing an Arsenal team just go out there and repel header after header, especially Mustafi, a guy who's been criticized for being soft. How how impressive was the the defending that we had to do to get through that first period of the match? Yeah, it was very impressive, actually. And it's they're, they're not qualities you associate very easily with Arsenal. Um, particularly, you know, our, our away record this season has come under the microscope a little bit. So uh, that, that was very, very important because, you know, in a season, if you're going to go anywhere, you've got to show a variety of qualities and you've got to have an answer to a variety of situations. I think it's quite interesting, a, a stat that I say emerged today. Um, it emerged to me. Uh, I only just became aware of it, that that back three have played five games together and not conceded this season. And that, that seems to be very significant. They seem to have a very good understanding um, of their individual roles within that back three. Um, but yeah, certainly Mustafi has been a real standout um, in the last kind of couple of games because with Mustafi, uh, you know, he, uh, Arsenal's settled on in the last six or seven years buying that very aggressive uh, kind of front-footed defender who likes getting out and nicking the ball ahead of the striker. Um, and, you know, those are those are obviously kind of high-risk, high-reward type players. And some of them have worked and some of them haven't. And look at Lauren Koscielny, for example. His judgment wasn't always great in the beginning, but he's become a fine defender. Uh, Gabriel, I thought, was probably somewhere between you know he had good games but he had a mistake in him and you look at someone like Thomas Vermaelen who just ended up becoming a bit of a liability and with Mustafi um, and he's by no means clear of this yet but with Mustafi you're kind of thinking okay is he a Koscielny who kind of starts off with the odd rick in him but you can see his defending style and while it's valuable or is he Vermaelen and does he just kind of fall away and just start making too many mistakes and yeah the, the last couple of games since he came back from injury have been very very positive and I think um, he's beginning to emerge as a bit of a leader um, we, we know he's he's a bit that Arsene talks up his organisational skills in that back three but I think um, his interview after the Tottenham game was very interesting where he gave the media uh, quote unquote both barrels um, and probably quite unfairly because I do think there was quite a lot of truth in the story that he was about to leave um, at the end of the window. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not it's not really for the players to be uh, kind of fair and accurate, a bit like fans. Uh, sometimes they, right. their, their responsibility is to G their team up and do what's best for their team. But that, that interview was, was really interesting. That was a real kind of almost a bit of a throwback, a kind of, you know, cr- trying to create a siege mentality, I think. Um, and and that's that's really positive. That suggests to me that um, he's kind of growing into um, this team a little bit. He's growing into his responsibilities. He feels a part of it. And uh, from the little we do know about why he nearly left in the summer, there were suggestions that he hadn't quite settled, uh, whether that was because of the club or England. Um, I'm not sure. He's he's lived in England before. He played for Everton. Um, didn't seem to be a problem then. So... Um, it's, it's difficult to piece together what, what went on behind the scenes. But the last couple of games, he's he's really emerged um, yeah. as a kind of leader. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very pleasing to see that side to Arsenal's game because we were playing a team 
it was this kind of very unholy combination for us of a team who's super organised defensively, but at the moment they're at the absolute top of their form, um, so they're high on confidence. And I think Scott touched on a lot of things in the last podcast, uh, kind of previewing the Burnley game, that at the moment they're kind of outperforming all their metrics, and that suggests they're probably going to be coming for a dip quite soon. But um, that hasn't happened yet, and they're they're super. They you know they're they're flying um, at the moment. They played a lot of tough games and. Um, not many teams have got much out of them and I, I really don't think with the exception of Man City I can't see many of the teams around us getting much more than a scrappy 1-0 at Turf Moor mm-hmm. um, but yeah yeah, in that opening half we came under the cosh and, and I think you're right to highlight Czech as well that plays into his qualities um, you know he's he's that kind of mature experienced head uh, who's played in the Premier League a long time and I think he took a lot of pressure off of us as well. He, he he made some important saves. I mean, he cut down the angle well when the guy whose name I won't remember jinked his way free into the box and hit the post. He he made the target small. He he had some really good catches, some good punches, and helped us ride out that period. And Paul, I think I, I have a question for you, sort of psychologically, in terms of how we approached this match. I mean, I think that that first half hour or so, we really were under pressure. Um, but after that, the thing that really sort of surprised me is that they weren't as combative as I expected. This was not a team that was bundling us over and nipping at our heels and taking us out at every opportunity and really putting our, uh, us under pressure with the ball. In fact, Monreal and Koscielny were among our most active passers and progressive passers because they had all the room to carry the ball into the opposition half that they wanted. Burnley really, they didn't make a lot of tackles in their own defensive half. They they kind of sat off us, and, and I think... As we've seen, they play to block shots, they play to crowd the box, they play to make it difficult to play through them. Do you think that maybe we suffered just from being a little impatient? Uh, we took more shots from distance. Mon- Monreal took a few. Shaka, who likes to do it anyway, took a few. Were we were we pressing a little? Do you think we bought into their defensive stoutness or the pressure of the away, you know, our away form too much? And 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 part of the problem is maybe just that we weren't patient enough. Yeah, maybe that. Uh, I think I was a little surprised by how progressive they played. And it might have been our team took 45 minutes to get used to the idea that there was actually going to be uh, space around the pitch. Because um, there was. I mean, there was. You know, the, yeah. that surprised me, too, though, Paul. Like, I, th- The narrative, I thought, is it was going to be like, you know, basically a pressure cooker. And that, that wasn't really how they played, right? I mean, as the first yeah. half wore on... We had them pinned back, and we had comfortable possession in their, in their final third. Well, so uh, I think there was space there. Uh, I certainly think we didn't make the most of it. Adrian Clark touched on our wing-back position, so that was kind of interesting that, uh, you know, he highlighted Kolasinac at one point been way too far up the field when the ball was on the other side. So he was never getting a pass and yet not been far enough back to cover when we were countered, if you like. Um, so, But he was I could also uncharacteristically that. poor with, with like his, his final yeah. ball, right? I mean, he, yeah. he rushed a lot of those opportunities. Normally it's the calm pullback or he picks out a guy. Yeah. Not the case here. Yeah. Uh, Wenger, I think that's exactly right. And it's kind of gone back and forth between Kolasinac and Bellerin from game to game about who had the spotlight on them going forward. It's been Kolasinac for a while, and then Bellerin had a hot game, then it was back to Kolasinac. In this one, he was he was significantly the more attacking and did well getting into the box. 
but you know it's always narrow margins right the the ball's just a little better and he's a hero but this wasn't his day to really connect once he got into the box uh, he had a really good dribble um in the second half i believe but but not a great shot um or took a touch to too many we we and, had chances too. I, I mean, I, yeah. I I wonder like you know we talked about this in the last pod and it came up in Scott's section too about how getting that first goal would be so important because it would force them to play out and they, they couldn't pack their defense as much. And I I think once we had them under pressure late, we had what we had the Ramsey chance right where nineteenth uh, minute Lacazette to Ramsey and Ramsey skies yeah. it over the bar. Um, in yeah. the thirtieth minute, Lacazette finds Alexis in the box. He makes that nice first touch, but can't get by the second man. Maybe you know had to stre- stretch for it a little bit. Um, yeah. is, is that there part was, of it too? The cross into Kolasinac, his header that kind of, he tried to direct inside the post. who yep. was just passed. Yeah. Yep. We, we, uh, we had the, the Sanchez dribble into the box in the first half where, uh, him and, uh, Lacazette were hooking up, but, uh, he didn't quite get the, the shot off at the end. So we had maybe four or five, but it still wasn't a lot, but I still would come back to, uh, Burnley were probably the biggest piece of it. They they were more progressive as a team than maybe we expected, and so maybe we didn't adapt to them. Mm-hmm. And then they were a second team in the second half. I don't think they could keep up that energy level. Um, they didn't press, but yep. uh, that your time uh, is up. Thank t- you for joining us, t- <laughs> Tim. Tim, that'll be your delivery. <laughs> uh, no, no, I actually, Paul, I bought a buzzer. For each of you, and okay. that's actually what okay. that was. Um, I've overtalked it. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I, so, so I think I do think Burnley deserve the credit, but just in a different way to the way you and I and the team expected, and they couldn't keep those energy levels in the second half. And Arson said we were at about eighty percent in the first half. I think positioning, moving the ball quickly. Um, I did do my going back and watching it a second time, and the one the one player's performance who who zipped up for me was Ramsey. I thought he really stroked it around, moved it, dribbled, kept it going. Uh, all that talk about how you know distance covered doesn't mean anything. It probably does when you're Ramsey because he's kind of one paced. He's not super fast, but he basically runs at a high clip for the whole game, and I think yeah. he really. He really had a good game in the first half. Yeah, and look, missing missing a chance will get people on your back a little bit and get people to forget what you're doing well, but I thought he did a lot of things that, well. And, and That is probably the hardest chance, though, the fastball coming, you know, uh, tangentially across, straight across, actually coming from behind it and flattening it out just as it comes across. Yep. So it was a good chance, but... Very understandable. Well Nigel provided. Winter Burn understood fully why that did not go in, so that's good yeah. enough for me. Well provided by Lacazette, who I, I don't think yeah. he's going to put this game on his highlight reel, but he did create two really decent opportunities, one for Alexis and one for Ramsey. Um, yeah, that was a really good one because it was off a throw-in. For, it was a nothing situation off a throw-in from Kolasinac and Lacazette nips it past his the wing back or whoever it is and sprints through and I mean he was right on the touchline when he put that ball in he zipped it perfectly into to Ramsey yeah um I'm gonna give you some homework Paul it sounds like your microphone is doing something interesting so maybe while we move over to Clive here you can give oh, it always with the criticism yeah that's what I'm here for to moderate and criticize yeah. um and you know what one moment that I I just want to mention Clive before we come to you because I, I think it is really important and I want to make sure we mention it because I think the entire game may have hinged on it. In the 48th minute, Burnley gets a, a two-on-one in, in attack. Um, and they it's, it's counterattack. 
And Koscielny does this really beautiful, savvy move. He he fakes like he's going to go after the, the guy with the ball, but he doesn't commit to it enough, and he tricks him into playing the pass to the other counterattacking player. And Koscielny had left himself enough space to close down that spot, and then the other defenders are able to recover. But it's a really savvy move that he makes, and if you want to go back, you can see it's in the 48th minute. And it stops what could have been a very easy scoring chance for Burnley that I think then gives us a platform to go ahead and sort of dominate them in the second half and ultimately get the goal in the end. But Clive, I want to come on to what I think is one of the key takeaways from this match, um, other than just the three points and where it leaves us in the table and all that, but uh, the the play of Alex Awobi. Now, I think it it's tough. Alex Awobi is clearly a very talented player. And my take on him is sort of this. He's not producing enough end product to be one of three forwards in this setup. Those forwards have to produce goals or assists, key passes, chances, something like that. And he doesn't have the final ball yet. But he is not, he doesn't have the energy levels and engine physicality to be one of the two in midfield yet. Um, He's a player who could be very influential in a game where you want another body to operate like an extra midfielder. But against a small team like this where the challenge is to break them down, he neither quite fits the profile of a midfield two nor has the end product to be a forward. So two questions. What did you think of Awobi generally? And do you think that he can produce enough in the final third to, to make one of these two positions behind the striker his own? Mm, so whenever you judge a player right, you, you, there's always a start point and the start point for yesterday was the fact that he was replacing Mesut Ozil right? so straight away we're now going to compare him to him so we're going to compare his creativity we're going to compare his composure in the last third we're going to compare his ability to find space we're going to compare that lovely front three fluidity that we saw versus Spurs and against Everton. And he's the next one in. So we're going to compare him to that. So straight away, we forget that he's only like 21. He's not a 28-year-old World Cup winner that's demanding £300,000 a week. He's a 21-year-old. right? So he's had some high moments. Most of his high moments have been with Alexis and Walcott. He's got quite a good combination with Welbeck. Right? So, but I... I think Iwobi for me falls into that category maybe similar to Jack and maybe similar to a few of our players but what what is he? Is he a, a third midfielder? Is he a third forward? Is he a second midfielder? And I, I'm I'm generally not sure I'm not sure. One good thing I do see, I see a, a strong frame, a strong physicality I see a player that's powerful and, and in England you can, you can deploy that type of player in many different situations particularly away from home but then I, in my mind, when I think of his best game, for me, one of his best games, probably open against Chelsea, actually, the, the Chelsea home game in 3-0 last year, and the Chelsea away game this year when he did a specific job. He helped out defensively and allowed Ramsey to roam a lot more. And we were, and Ramsey was very effective on the day, and the way we did a lot of his fetching and carrying. But when I, when I look at him... I, and I've got I've got a few issues with him actually, and and some of them are not really fair. If I'm being honest. Oh, I'm here I, for that. Bring on the unfair think, criticism, uh, man. That's that's my brand. Let's do it. Let's be unfairly and, uh, critical. With, <laughs> with my de- developmental head on, my I look at him and think, okay, you're new into the team. You're 21, 22, or every age is, and sometimes I watch him play, and I think you should be running around a bit more. 
I watch you sometimes and I think you're walking. I watch you sometimes and I think you're more concerned about having the biggest pair of shorts on the team. And you're more concerned with having your shorts with your socks rolled down to your ankles. You're more concerned with having long sleeves and pretending that you're cold. You're more concerned about looking cool rather than playing very, very hard. I think he likes what he likes. He likes to receive the ball with a back foot and move it quickly and drive and then pop it. He knows he can do that all day. I want to see him start really focusing on some of the things that he doesn't do so well, which is running off the ball without the ball, looking, running very hard after people to track them and tackle them. He's very physical. He's got a massive backside in him. When he goes into contact, he can really push people off. I want to see him focus a lot more on one-on-one duels and focus on the dirty side of the game because the pretty side of the game, receiving it and the ball flowing through him, he's got that sus. I sometimes think he's a very ugly-looking athlete as he runs and he moves mechanically. I think he's got a terrible run. He runs like he runs like John Inman. I mean, Tim will know what I mean. He runs <laughs> he, he runs with his hands splayed to the side. He's got a terrible mechanical running action. I want to see him focus on the details that take you from being a promising academy player into being an elite footballer. And, and I, if I was his coach, I would be really on at him more than almost anybody because he has the tools to really go to another level. But when I see things like Big 17 and all this hashtag rubbish, I'm thinking, mate, deliver first before you start all that stuff. Pull your socks up, get the right size shorts, start working hard <laughs> because people are comparing you to Meza Ozil, Jack Wilshire and those players around your, you. And if you don't do it, you're going to end up being the butt of criticism by the fans mm-hmm. and that's what I will be saying to him and I could see that even before the whistle started even before the game started on Sunday and the moment he does a bad pass or bad movement people are on him online and I think some of that he's bringing on himself now this is the only, the only, uh, that sounds a little bit sort of uh, just real, real quick because I, I don't yeah. remember if I introduced you but but Clive is on Twitter at your da uh, no, I'm, just kidding, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep going. Keep going. I'm loving it. Yeah, I, I, I know it's unfair. It's unfair, but I, that's what I would do. I say, sort yourself, because that's this is what's happening. This is what you have. You have the ability to be really strong and powerful. And technically, he's disappointing me. When he shoots, he leans back. He doesn't drive for the ball. He dances around the football too much. When he's decisive and instant and quick, it's almost as the tougher the game, the better he is. That's what I want to see from him. So, when yeah. some of his best games come against some of the best opposition, and when he's got time where he thinks he's where he thinks he's the big dog, that's when he doesn't produce it. And um, so, yeah, I would definitely want to get hold of him and say, "Look, this is your chance. If you don't take it, you're you're in a bit of trouble." And and I, and I can see the sort of sentiment against him on occasion, which is totally unfair, which is brewing because we've got some heroes out there in Jack and Erzulam, and that's who you're being compared to. Yeah, I, nice one, Clive. You've driven down his transfer price by about fifteen million. Yeah, you that's just that's just for us. You know, right, no one does it this just for us, right? So, well, I have it on good authority that Barcelona scout listens to this podcast. And by the way, we will do thirty solid minutes praising Francis Cochran coming up. Uh, so, so listen, Tim. You know what's weird, Tim? When he burst into the squad and made himself like one of the one of the first names on the team sheet last year, he did it playing in that sort of that inside forward position where he was exchanging passes with Ozil and Alexis right on the edge of the area. Remember when Alexis was playing 
center forward, and it was a Wobie mm. and Ozil partnering up and, and popping up in different parts of the edge of the area, and they were exchanging passes, and he looked dangerous. Now I see a player that the closer he gets to the opposition penalty box, the less confident he feels in his, in his skills and his ability, and he plays very few key passes in a match. His XA is very low. His XG is virtually non-existent. I know he has scored for us, but... I mean, is is that the problem for you that in this formation, which is inherently potentially a little bit more defensive, those three players, the striker and the two behind, have to have end product, and and he doesn't seem to have it? Yeah, to, to an extent, yeah. And most players don't really start to develop regular end product till they're kind of about 23 um, or so. Um, even Fabregas, you look at you look at Fabregas's numbers before he turned 22, and he was basically a freak. Um, he was sing- single figures for assists and goals, um, which surprises people. But when he hit about 23, he he really hit a stride with that kind of thing. Even Thomas Rosicki, who you know I frequently compare Iwobi to because he's more of that kind of connecting player, or a bit like Alex Kleb was. Um, you know, Rosicki didn't develop regular end products until the very end of his career, actually. So I think I, I think that you know that's who Iwobi is at this particular moment in time. Um, and yeah, of course, that's it. because Arsenal. The problem for Iwobi is that there's not really much to connect. Arsenal is a bit of a dysfunctional team that just completely, not completely, but relies very heavily on the end product of the front three. So, yeah, of course, you take Ozil out and put Iwobi in. That's that's already, um, you know, those are some big shoes to fill, and that's a lot of responsibility. But, but can I, can I, I just stop say, you just real quick sure. before the one thing you will say? Like, But that's the job, right? Because if, if yeah. we think we're losing Ozil, someone's got to go in that spot. And it seems clear that the manager, absent the transfer market, thinks this is the guy to go in that spot, at least potentially. And... I mean, th- there there is an Im- immense gulf. I'm not going to say in quality or career potential, but in end product and, and creative yeah. opportunities. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the same uh, issue Jack Wilshere's got. You know, playing in that. Uh, and I, you know, I listened to the discussion you guys had about that um, after the Cologne game. It's the same because Wilshere's never been a a regular assister or scorer of goals. He as well is more of a connecting player. Um, and that's obviously a, a problem Arsenal have got to cope with. One observation I will make is that I think one player that really benefits from Alex Iwobi in the team instead of Mesut Ozil is Aaron Ramsey. Why does he um, always th- benefit from the players that aren't, you know, I mean, I was going to say aren't good. That's not right. But he, he, he <laughs> Giroud, well, yeah, I mean, next you're going to tell me Coughlin well, is, is the key to getting the most out of Ramsey. Well, no, not quite. I, I actually think Ramsey's evolved beyond the need for uh, Giroud. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually... <laughs> and he's quite good at making that third man run and he's learned how to do it with um you know Alexis and Lacazette in there um the the two players that I think uh, grind together a little bit are, are Ramsey and Ozil and I think that's a discussion we've all had many times in the past I, I thought Ramsey was superb again against Burnley and I don't think it's a coincidence that two of Ramsey's best performances this season um, have come away at Burnley uh, with Iwobi in there and away at Chelsea. And I think you almost have to invert the roles of Iwobi and Ramsey um, when they play together because, Ram- and again, Ramsey has to work on his end product as well. But actually, Iwobi almost becomes more like a central midfielder and Ramsey becomes more like a number 10 um, when they're both in the team together. Um, and, and actually what you get is you get 
it gives Ramsey a bit more freedom. And Iwobi, he's not the most uh, cut-and-thrust player in the final third. He's much happier linking play up, which is something Ramsey doesn't do that much. So actually, um, I think you've almost got to, like, you know, you've almost got to view them um, the other way around, uh, Ramsey and Iwobi, when they play together. Um, again, I'm not saying that that's, that's a brilliant long-term solution for being without Ozil, but I, it's just one of the things you've got to live with when you've got a player like Mesut Ozil. You're going to have a gap um, between whoever you know between him and whoever comes in for him. Not convinced at all that you know had Danny Welbeck played there, had Jack Wilshere started there ahead of Iwobi, that anything different would have happened. It's just that's what happens when you lose um, one of your best players. There's there's a big gap uh, to your squad player um, and whoever it is. Frankly, and and it will be the same if Alexis has to come out. Um, quite frankly, we we saw what happened when Alexis came out against Watford. Um, you know, you you just miss that level of player. Um, and if well, when Özil goes, we're going to have to replace him in the transfer market. It's that simple. We don't have the internal solution. Um, if we did, then Mesut Özil would probably already be gone. Yeah. Um. And and I I guess. And look, I get that it's unfair to make the comparison. The reason I'm making the comparison is people that's already talk. That's the standard. Yeah, well, it has, that's the standard, and that, that's the player that we're going to be losing. So we're looking to see if there's someone in the squad that can be that guy. Um, I mean, isn't it also the case, maybe, and just really quickly on this, Tim, that we have built a squad now that was built to be a back four, you know, a, a, yeah. a, a three-man midfield, a back four, a four-two-three-one, or whatever it was going to be yeah, yeah. squad. And a lot of the pieces that made sense in that don't have natural. I mean, we've talked at length about how Theo Walcott has no role in this system mm. whatsoever. Jack Wilshire is a weird fit. Alex Iwobi is a weird fit. You can't really play Coughlin in a midfield two in this system. Uh, some of the guys that could potentially have played fullback in the back four aren't really wingbacks. We saw that with Chambers, and, mm. you know, in the Europa League. Is that sort of what we're bumping up against? That the squad players we have yeah. are talented, but maybe ill-fitted to the roles they have to play in this system. Yeah, yeah, I think so, totally. I, I think a play missed out there. You'll be delighted to hear this, Elliot, but I'm, I'm writing a column this week about um, how I think Giroud is pretty much done for at Arsenal, and actually I think this formation's affected him. I'm pouring a little because, of my drink out on the floor. As we speak. <laughs> because basically there's no wide forwards anymore, um, and without Chamberlain there's no one chucking crosses in, and the wing-backs are much more focused on getting to the byline and hitting that space between full-back and centre-half, so... I think that's done for him as well. I think you're right. I think there's five or six players who, if we keep this formation, um, don't just don't really have a role. I don't think Iwobi's one of them, though. I actually think this inside forward role um, can suit him in time. He's not going to be the answer to Mesut Ozil leaving. Um, nobody is. You, you've got to buy that in, um, really. But... And, and he's certainly not ready for that. He might be in two or three years when he's a bit older and he's developed some end product and, and we're really confident in what type of player he is because he, he might yet drop back into central midfield. We might decide that his end product's not quite enough to play uh, that advanced role. But I think physically that inside forward role suits him better than playing as a wide player because it means he has to cover shorter distances. Mm -hmm. Whereas when he was playing on the left wing, you know, he was kind of, huffing back trying to protect his fullback and he doesn't have to do that as much it's much more about um you know covering short spaces and doing some pressing yep. which i i think suits his physicality um slightly more 
Yeah, well, so, Paul, I want to ask you about it, Wobian, and I want to ask it in a different way then. So, we've covered maybe what the limitations are, but in this match specifically, I mean, it's hard, right? I I said, and I probably shouldn't have, that he was trash. Um, That's not fair. He wasn't trash. I think what was frustrating me was how little he was giving us in the attacking third, but you felt he was good in this match, so what I wanted to get from you to kind of balance all this negativity, despite the fact that that is kind of what I'm here for, uh, is what did he do in this match that you appreciated, that you thought he added? What what were the traits he brought to this match that, that helped us? Look, I didn't think he was brilliant, right? Fair enough. Um, I just thought he was okay. And you you, you had said trash, so that kind of... Yeah, tick, tick, tick. No, I get it. So, but, but, but so, so, what, what, so did, I, what did he, what does yeah. he do well? What, what were the Awobi qualities that we should be celebrating? Usually what he's doing well, though not particularly in this game, is he's kind of building the XG chain. The, he's, he's one of those guys who's highly represented in the build-up play that leads to assists and goals. He might be the guy who passes it two times or three times before the goal or the assist. In this game, not particularly. I mean, you did hit on something. He was basically nowhere near the penalty area. He was ninth out of ten outfield players in XG chain for this match. Yeah, so he was well down the pecking order. What I thought he did pretty well... Um, was against a physical side. Uh, he mixed it up pretty good. He he scrapped for the ball. He progressed it up the field, um, got it into their third. And we were a bit hit and miss, and he was a bit hit and miss when we got there. So uh, I didn't think it was great. I thought he was okay. I, I, w- I was mainly saying I wouldn't particularly single him out. Um, I think we had a general problem in the final third, especially in the, in the first half. I thought he was okay. Um, the point I kind of really wanted to jump in on, I I don't know what the answer with the Wobie is. I I don't think this particular, our current formation or lineup of players particularly suits him. I just don't think that I would say that he's the stand-in for Ozil. It feels that way at the moment, but I think the real stand-in for Ozil might be if he were out for a few months or, or God forbid we lose him in January. Um, is Sanchez, and he did it quite a bit in this game where he 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 did the creative role and he dropped back. Uh, the nice thing about Sanchez doing that role is he's also a, a goal scorer, which Ozil has decided he isn't. Um, and I think you put Welbeck in that lineup, and now you've got some players who can really do the da- damage on the end of uh, Sanchez stepping on the ball and popping them over the top. Him and Lacazette, I think, will be a really interesting combination if if we get to see that with Sanchez. Now, hopefully Ozil stays for the season. Ho- hopefully Ozil is, plays his socks off, doesn't get injured. But I do actually think Sanchez is the better mapping to the Ozil role. And uh, Welbeck and... Lacazette would give us a very interesting uh, combination for pushing their team back and giving them more trouble. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I think one of the things, and, and Paul, just quickly, we'll stay with you and Clive, I'll, I'll give you a final word on Awobi because it's not the Awobi cast, it is the whatever we call it cast. Um, but, uh, I mean, one area where I think Awobi could stand to improve, and this is an area where your teammates can get on your back, and we actually see Awobi get down on himself, and that's transition. There was a play, I think it was the 42nd minute. There was a decent counter opportunity. Wobie got the ball in good space. He carried it forward and just sort of clumsily dribbled into a defender. Um, And then 
on another counterattack, there was a sharply hit pass to him in the center of midfield in a good counterattacking opportunity, and he did a step over, and there was like no Arsenal player anywhere near him. I don't know if you guys remember that. And these two things happened probably within a minute of each other, and you could see some groans from the players around him, and he kind of got down on himself, gave himself like a little shrug, and like, is it maybe that that that's an area where he could really stand to improve is is being more decisive, quicker, more efficient with the ball in transition. I mean, we are getting more transition chances, and when you screw that up, that's really when your teammates kind of get annoyed with you. Is that is that an area in particular where if he could improve, it could, it, it could make a big difference in, in his ability to play in that position? Yeah, I think so. Certainly in this game. I mean, he has those skills. I mean, that can, he is a really good connecting player around the edge of the box. Uh, maybe he's lost a little confidence. Maybe that's why we saw, as you pointed out, most of his work was kind of between our midfield approaching their box rather than on the edge of their box. Well, you want to hear an um, interesting statistic. And this is, just just to cut across you again, um, it's become kind of a feature. But like... Uh, Mesut Ozil routinely attempts 15 to 20 passes from the final third, uh, from the middle third that enter the final third, okay? 15 to 20 a game. So from the middle third, entering the final third. You know how many will be played in this entire match? Zero. One. One pass from the middle third into the final third. Um, And I think that tells you a lot. He did try to run it there. Um, but that's, that's and that's a you, that's a fair point. That's a way to do it. But that I mean, you know, again, yeah. that's where you're really seeing that that ability to get the ball from the center midfield in hurtful positions and attack. So, Clive, I mean, you you're a believer that we're using Wobi incorrectly. I mean, is there a correct way to use him in this system, or does it mean scrapping the system and starting over? Yeah, it means changing the system slightly. I think we sort of did it when when Jack came on. The way to Meza Erzul is very hard to replace because he's unique the way he connects with multiple people on the pitch. Awobi hasn't got the experience, the goal, to actually do that. So we compare him to somebody that's very hard to compare to. But if we went 3-5-2 and put him as part of a three in midfield, I think we get a greater chance to see more of him and to see more of Ramsey. So you replace that one special player with two very good players. But then you have two forwards. And I think away from home, we need to change something. And we did, and I, I want to get Tim for you, that I felt we, when Jack came on, we sort of, Alexis stayed higher up, and we sort of had two forwards, and we were pushing them back, and Alexis was very lazy, didn't come deep. And we had three in midfield, and we supported that way. Rather than having Jack off the side, Alexis off the side, we had a, a three with two up, with the wing-backs doing the side. So I think that's the best way to go away from home, especially when, when Ozil's not there. I think, and I think that's the best way to use Iwobi. I think trying to make him be an Urzel in that position off one side, I think, is hard. I'd like to see him in the three where he can have a bit more flexibility, a bit more protection, a bit more comfort around him, and less things to do. But also, he can do the defensive job when Ramsey breaks, but he can also create on on a, on a smaller space. And that's how I would like to use him at this age and his level of experience. That's that's for me the way forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, bu- I'd buy into that completely. I just think the way it is right now and the way he's being used right now, the drop-off is substantial. And I, you know, I mean, it's one thing if we're playing a big club away, uh, and I, I see how we try to use him in those games. In this game, uh, just philosophically, I don't see it. Um, so, Clive, the the second half, I, I felt like we started to get to grips with it, and then um, there was the Bellerin challenge in the box, and Burnley fans are, are crying about 
well, they cried about every call all game, and it was ridiculous. And they'll, they'll cry about the Ramsey penalty that lost them the game. But that's a penalty for Bellerin, isn't it? Yeah, look, well, I would say that. Yeah, um, I, I, I would say it. But but Bellerin didn't quite dink it over the player enough. If he dinked it anywhere else but hit the player, he would have got the penalty, but he didn't quite do it. So Because um, the player comes through and takes him out. He takes none of the ball, really. Right. Yeah, but he sort of, he sort of kicks the ball into him, so the referee could deem it that he won the ball, even though he's even though he didn't, he already fouled him with his legs. But yeah. it's one of those fifty-fifty calls. I, I I wouldn't say for definite. It wouldn't keep me awake at night. Well, I, I'll say for definite, it was a penalty. Um, let's do this. Let's put a coda <laughs> on the Awobi discussion because there's a lot of it in the segment with Scott, which is about ten minutes. So we'll uh, step aside. Let Scott tell you all the statistics that serve whatever point it was I was trying to make, and then we'll come back and uh, wrap up with some thoughts on Alexis the win at where it loses. Okay, we've got Scott here now. Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his work on crabstats.blogspot.com, and he's going to give us our regular statistical look at the match. Hey, Scott. Hello. So uh, we're going to advance my agenda and my pet projects uh, during this segment, obviously. But before we do that, let's just get an overview in terms of XG for the match, in terms of PPVA and XG chain and things like that. how did we perform and, and who were our, our best players in some of those creative statistical areas? Um, so overall for the match, um, Arsenal were the, the dominant team, um, especially after that first um, maybe like 25 minutes where Burnley seemed to, to be attacking. Um, but after that, it was all Arsenal. Um, overall, um, the match finished uh, 1.86 to 0.34. Um, even if you take out the penalty, which definitely was a penalty and was the second penalty Arsenal should have earned for the day. Um, it would have been 1.1 to 0.34. So overall, uh, a well-deserved victory um, You know, that just came in the, the dying moments. And who are our standout performers in terms of some of the statistics you keep an eye on? Um, so overall, um, Hector Bellerin, um, who the value-added passing absolutely loves, led the team at 0.41, um, followed by Koscielny, Ramsey, and Monreal. Um, it was also actually pretty surprising that the full or the the center backs were really pushed up, but I think that really just shows um, how bunkered down Burnley were in the game that um, our center back were able to to get so far forward, which is always a concern. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it was part of the the pattern of play though that that Monreal and Koscielny were advancing into the attack and actually became an important part of it, sort of in the absence maybe of someone like Ashaka, who I thought took a little bit of a backseat. Do we see him maybe being less influential in those areas? Yeah, he actually um, finished the day with one of his worst passing games of the season. I had him at negative .02. So he was actually rather poor passing the ball. Yeah, it didn't seem like he was sort of collecting it and started playing. I noticed he actually played uh, fewer long balls than he usually does. I mean, I think when Shaq is on his game, you see him dominating us in long balls. He actually averages as many long balls in a game as, as Petr Cech. Um, didn't play as many in the, in the game. And, you know, I, I was looking at some tackling statistics. I think 7 a.m. kickoff posted them. And, and Burnley didn't do a lot of attacking in their defensive half, uh, tackling in their defensive half. So I think you could say they kind of let us get to the edge of their area and then and then sort of drew a Maginot line there and tried to defend deep. Um, but what I wanted to get to, that I think is important is the discussion of Alex Awobi's inclusion. And uh, as we've talked about the main part of the pod, and we'll continue to talk about the main part of the pod, um, Awobi was brought in in place of the uh, sick, whether you want to put that in quotes or not, ill, elect, uh, a mesodosal. 
And this is a real challenge with Iwobi. He doesn't seem to necessarily have the engine for midfield, but he doesn't necessarily seem to have the creativity and end product for one of the forward positions. And a lot of people push back uh, on Twitter to me, sort of suggesting that Ozil was indispensable and saying, you know, sell him, get a get a fee for him, you know, let him go. So, Scott, just in this game in particular, and looking sort of more holistically, what was the drop-off in terms of the creativity and end product we got from that forward position vis-a-vis Iwobi in this game? And then, you know, what exactly do we miss when we don't have Mesut Ozil in that position, statistically speaking? Um, so statistically speaking, um, Mesut Ozil is by, by far and away um, our most creative player. Um, so I, I went through the games and just kind of did a, a simple with and without anal- um, cool. analysis. Um, so it's kind of, you know, similar to like what you'd see, like a plus minus in, you know, hockey or basketball or something like that. But this is a very simple and this is just to, to kind of get a, a high level um, idea of what we do. So Arsenal um, on the on a whole score um, earned 1.89 XG per game, 16.4 shots per game, two and a half big shots for, or big chances per game. Uh, with Ozil, those numbers are um, 1.96 XG, so um, uh, about a 10% addition, 17.13 shots, so an extra shot per game, 2.9 big chances, so an extra half big chance, so a big chance every other game with him. Um, and without Ozil, it's 1.77 XG per game, 15.2 shots um, shots per game, and two big chances. So with and without Ozil, so Ozil adds um, 0.2 XG, two shots, and almost a full big chance per game. Yeah, so that's, that's just incredible. the very simple with and without um, this season. Okay. Um, and, so, you know, so- there are certain things that you can look at, you know, the games that he hasn't really played. You know, he didn't play against Chelsea, didn't play against Brighton, um, paid only seven minutes against West Brom and, you know, 30 minutes against Watford. So these are still a fairly good sample. So there's some good teams, a mid-table team, uh, bad teams. So overall, I think that's actually a pretty fair way of kind of looking at things. Yeah, and the problem is when we bring in Alex Awobi, it's not that we're bringing in a bad player. It's that we're not bringing in a chance creator or a chance finisher. So how does it look when we make that drop-off? I mean, what, what, what did Awobi contribute, for example, in this game against Burnley? So Awobi this game um, wasn't a bad player by any means. Um, so I had him with uh, uh, 0.24 um, uh, value-added passing, which is a, a very solid number. It's a, in the 87th percentile. Um, and 0.11 XG chain, which isn't that good. But, I mean, for me, XG chain in one game um, can be a little deceptive um, unless you're trying to just, you know, centrality of how much they're involved in play. Um, so he was 10% of Arsenal's um, XG, so not not horrible, but not... But compared to um, Ozil, who is frequently a massive percentage of it, it's it's quite the step down. Exactly. Um, yeah, Ozil actually leads the team in XG chain um, this season, surprisingly, for how little he's played. He's at 9.81, um, followed by Alexis Sanchez at 9.5. Oh, you know our two best players. Um so, yeah, and, and I mean, I, I guess in terms of things like key passes, in terms of uh, assists or expected assists, I mean, that's just, we're not getting that from Awobi like we do from, from Ozil, are we? No. Um, so Ozil um, actually is tied for the lead in key passes um, in the league um, with 34. So the, I believe it's uh, David Silva and Cesc Fabregas are both also on 34. Um, the other thing, actually, I was surprised because, um, to me, Ozil is so good at set play delivery. 
Um, but he actually only has um, three set play um, key passes this season. So 31 of his um, key passes have come from open play, um, which is far and away um, the league leader. Um, I believe the next one was um, David Silva at 28 um, from open play. So he goes from, uh, you know, being tied with people to being, you know, three or four key passes ahead. Um, and he's also tied with, um, uh, who's the guy who's um, tied with um, for open play XA? It's um, Kun Aguero. Um, they're both on 3.6 um, XA allowed, or <laughs> not XA allowed, um, XA created yeah. from open play. Wow. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about one of the, if not the, most creative player in the league. Um, and, you know, when, when you dig into Awobi, I mean, is it, are there things he's doing that maybe Ozil doesn't? Do we see a difference in the game statistically in terms of how he's playing that forward position, whether it's dribbles, passes, defensive actions, anything that jumps out at you from the Burnley game? Um, so not especially. To me, the biggest thing, so I, I've, I've worked on creating um, a stat that's um, passing ability, and it looks at basically um, where you break down the pitch into the three zones. So there's the defensive third, the middle third, the final third. And I compare their passing ability in each of those zones compared to league average and then say, how much better are you than the league average passer? Okay, um, cool. So Mes- Mesut Ozil is one of the best final third passers in the league. He's also one of the best middle third passers in the league. Um, Alex Awobi is good, but not great in both of those categories. Um, and then when you put in the, the passing value added where Mesut Ozil is um, far and away um, the best player on our team, and he's right up there with um, uh, some of the top players. So I have Eden Hazard and um, see uh, Paul Pogba is up there with them. So you're looking at the top players in um, all of uh, the Premier League as the the passing value-added leaders. Okay. Um, overall, I have him as the sixth best passer in all of football. Wow. So, I, I mean... We, I think this desire to just wave away Ozil, um, while I understand wanting to get a fee for him, and I understand the frustration that his Arsenal career may be ending in, in ignominy or ignominiously, like there's a lot of creative play that needs to be replaced. And Alex Awobi, again, young and talented, but not necessarily possessing the skill set or demonstrating the skill set yet that can replace that kind of creative productivity um just out of curiosity do you have handy Uwobi's uh touches or passes in the final third against Burnley I do give me one second to pull this up and I don't want to like take this as I I don't think that Uwobi is very talented um because to me I know when we we talked um about after the the Europa League against Cologne um to me he was really one of the the bright spots in that game he came on played 45 minutes and was absolutely one of the the best creative sparks on the play on the team um, so to me, he's a very, very good player, but comparing him to someone who is absolute world class just isn't really fair. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you give Awobi three or four more years, it's possible he could get to that level, but it's hard to say that somebody already at that level is easily replaceable. Yeah, certainly. And so, I, you know, I, I think against Burnley, to me, it seemed that we were able to get into advanced positions. We didn't always use them as well as we could have, and maybe that was the difference. I mean, did he, was his final third passing maybe left a little wanting on the day? Yes, I mean, he ended up with uh, 21 um, final third touches with three touches in the box. Um, And then passing in the final third, 
Um, he had 11 final third passes, and he actually completed um, all 11 of them. Um, the one thing that he doesn't do, or at least didn't do in this game that Ozil um, does so well, is he, Ozil acts as the conduit between midfield and the final third. Um, so if you look at, so I have a, a look at a thing that's final third entry passes. So it looks for passes that start outside of the final third and then go into the final third. Makes sense. Um, Obi, Obi was, uh, Wobi was um, 0 for 1. So he only tried one shot or one pass to move the ball into the final third. Um, where, um, let's see, uh, Sanchez, well, I'm sorry, not Sanchez. Ozil? Ozil. That guy? Sorry, yeah. too many, too, yeah, too many names going through my too head. Too many numbers, too many um, numbers usually leads the team with 15 or 20 um, of wow. those passes okay. per game. So, so, so that's really telling. Huge... I mean, the, the fact that he is often and frequently making the pass that takes us from that build-up phase into the attacking phase, and, and we didn't see that maybe as much from, from Iwobi. Um, let, let's leave it there. I think that's a lot to digest and, and a lot of good overview on just how special uh, Ozil is and how much we have to replace if, in fact, he is going to slide his way out of the team, although certainly no indication that's happened yet. He's just ill. We're not going to put any quotes around it. In any event, Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Scott, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and, and adding this sort of angle to what we do, which is pretty much uh, just senseless ranting. So thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you after, gosh, Huddersfield, midweek. Have a good, uh, have a good early part of your week, but you know, dig into the data. We'll need you in a few days. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, we're back, and that gives a little bit of detail statistically to just how important Mesut Ozil is, but I think there's another player who's very important to us, and that is uh, Alexis Sanchez. You may have heard of him. Uh, He is uh, a player for Arsenal from Chile who won us the game. Uh, So, Tim, one of the reasons we record this on Monday is it gives me a chance to listen to the Arscast Extra and then just make whatever points they made. Um, (laughs) But I find myself having to disagree, uh, and it's dangerous because there's no possible chance that I am right and and, uh, uh, Andrew is wrong or anyone from from the organization that is Arsblog, including yourself, is wrong. But they were a little bit critical of the performance of Alexis, I thought. Um, Mm. And I saw it very differently. I thought Alexis did a little bit of everything. I mean, he did some Alexis-y stuff, but uh, he wasn't dispossessed in the game. First time all season that hasn't happened. He attempted the most key passes. He scored the goal that won us the game. He had several shot opportunities. He created several opportunities. I mean, I'm curious to see your take on Mm. Alexis popping up all over the pitch and trying to play the role of really two forwards in this game. Yeah, I think I did. He was missing his mate. A little bit, basically, um, in Özil, because he always, you know, we say it very regularly. They always look to combine. I, I thought his performance kind of reflected the teams in the in the first half. Um, there wasn't a lot uh, that was meaningful that came from Alexis. Um, but that said, in the second half, uh, we moved him a little bit more central. So in the first half, he was. You know, he's very much kind of out on the left um, and Kolasinac wasn't having a great game either and that, that partnership didn't really get going. In the second half, um, and Clive alluded to it there, it almost became a bit more like a 3-5-2 and Alexis became, or a 3-5-1-1, Alexis became more of a number 10 um, basically in the game and then we tried to use kind of Ramsey uh, getting forward, which he did to great effect to win the penalty, yep. but... 
I, I thought his kind of switching of play became much better. The problem was he was switching the play to Bellerin quite a lot, but then Bellerin was finding himself um, crowded out, really. And what what he needed was Alexis to then very quickly sprint over there so he could try and combine with him because quite often Bellerin was just looking back inside rather than trying to beat the man. He was looking for a combination that, that wasn't really there. Um, I, I don't think it was Alexis's best game, but I think you're right. He wasn't as kind of he was a bit more considered with the ball um, than he he quite often can be. Um, and I, I I always felt that if something was going to happen, it was going to come from him, um, whether it was because he was going to create something or whether because he was going to score himself. I never got that sense from Lacazette, for example. I thought he was uh, a passenger for the entire game didn't look to me like he was going to do anything. Iwobi wasn't going to score a goal. I thought it'll either be Alexis or Ramsey, or more likely it'll be Alexis setting Ramsey up or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought, considering Alexis, the breadth of Alexis' talent, I thought it was a bit of a 7 out of 10 uh, game for him. But he, he was certainly our most imposing player, I think, without doing that thing that he can sometimes do where... He just completely takes everything over. Um, I, I don't think there was really any of that going on. I think he was perhaps a little bit more considered. Um, but that said, I, I don't think he was slicing Burnley open every few minutes. No. He was our clear danger man, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't significantly so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it is interesting, by the way, that like a lot of the chances in this game fell to Ramsey um, and were, you know, and, and Lacazette provided Ramsey. I mean, his late runs seemed very important and you know maybe there was something by design to that to try to get the center backs to be drawn to Alexis and Lacazette um and let Ramsey run into the space they left and they just they didn't really do that um a whole lot I mean the few times they did Ramsey got into space and then they either blocked the shot or he blazed over uh you know the thing that I think is interesting about Alexis is he he does kind of get this reputation for being a selfish player or you know a player who doesn't fit the team collective but you take Ozil out of the squad, and he's our dominant leader in every creative statistic. Um, yeah. You know, assists, suspected assists, key passes. I mean, he he's behind um, he's behind Ozil in key passes, but he's dominantly second in that. I mean, he's first in number of times he's fouled. We've seen how important that is. He got fouled to you know win the free kick that got us the first goal against Spurs. Um, he is dominantly our leader in dribbles. He's dominantly our leader in shots per game. He is one man instant attack, isn't he? I mean, that's that's really it. It's not just for himself. He creates for teammates. He does. I, I still think he does kind of play for himself, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Let, let, let um, me ask you to expand on that just, just for a second. I mean, mm. he, he takes the extra dribble to make the time for a run to keep. I mean, isn't it more not playing for himself, but more that he doesn't want to lay it off if he can avoid it. He wants to play an over the top curling ball behind the defense or a, a, a slid through ball to a runner. Like, isn't it sometimes yeah. that he just holds the ball too long looking to have a really hurtful option instead of the easy, yeah. quick option? Yeah, it is. And, and it's because he's got quite a dominant personality. Um, as soon as the penalty was given, you know, Lacazette wasn't on the pitch. And I, I take it that Alexis is, is second in line after him if Giroud's not on either, although I'm quite nervous about that because I don't think Alexis is a very good penalty taker generally. But honestly, the second that penalty was given, it looked like there was a little bit of confusion over who should take it. There were a couple kind of looking. Alexis had the ball under his arm straight away. 
and kind of Ramsey was looking a bit mournfully over as if to say, I could take, but Alex, like, no, this is mine. <laughs> he this he is won the Copa America. Mine. I mean, he, you know, in a pressure situation, I still think I trust him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and of course, he, he scored the penalty against Burnley in stoppage time earlier this year as well. Good point. He, basically, he, he wants that big moment. And a little bit of that is almost like um, the ego of a centre forward. And I know Paul made a lot of references last year to him kind of wanting to win the golden boot. And I, I thought there was a lot of stock in that, that he wants the goals, he wants the assists. And I, I do think it probably comes from, um, you know, a, a fairly egotistical place. But um, I, 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 think that, I think that's fine um, because it benefits all of us. Yeah, uh, so I, if you're hearing a little bit of Skype chat in the background, that is because uh, the police are chasing Paul from his Walgreens parking lot. So uh, goodbye, Paul. We adore you. Paul's on Twitter, pausing in my pants, and I'm sorry that he could not make it through the end of this. And Tim, I apologize for cutting off uh, what really is podcasting gold that you were producing here that you're spinning. <laughs> um, but I do want to make sure that Paul's absence is noted and his contribution is appreciated. Um, let's, we'll start to wrap up anyway, but uh, Clive, just at the end there, obviously, we get the penalty uh, we get the the goal that wins the game, and in in the context of the season, we talk yeah. about it after the Spurs game. You beat Spurs, but then everybody's expecting you to go to Burnley and drop points. And forgetting how we got there in the end, and the fact that match of the day and the commentators and the fans and everybody associated with football is furious at us for winning a game we deserve to win by every measurable metric. Um, how important is it to confirm the Spurs win by going to Burnley, getting this win, and starting a run? Yeah, it's very important. I, I thought it's a massive game. It's very important. And you know what? We, we, I thought we did a pretty good job of analysing the Spurs game and we, we spoke about our exit strategy. We spoke about how we ignored centre midfield and basically had a no-man, a zero-man midfield and worked down the sides it suits, and it, played. It, it suits our squad. <laughs> yeah, it suits our squad, right? And that was the story of the day. Well, you know what? We, we, we amateurs managed to analyse the game pretty well and I thought Sean Dyche analysed it pretty well and he blocked off our sides I thought they won the battle in wide areas made us work very hard they forced us into the middle we were disconnected and it was a, it was a bit of a battle but what if the whole game you know, every game has its own storyline right? and, and Burnley wanted to score first sit in 1-0 win maybe catch us on the break make it 2-0 that's what they wanted to do and we held out so this game was won during our worst period when they hit the post that's probably the turning point um, and they didn't get that goal that's a mistake that we made they hit the post and we from then on we started to push forward and, and press them back and play the game in areas where they weren't so comfortable they thought they would hold out they nearly did I'm so glad they didn't because that type of football though it has its place I don't want it to be rewarded too much because otherwise we're going to watch, as fans, we're going to watch so many games, attack versus defence, and it's not really competitive, right? So give me Spurs games all day long where two teams are going at it. We don't have all the ball. We have to hang in there. I want to see more competitive football, but because of where the premiership is going, the landscape, the money, there are loads of games like, like we saw at the weekend, and Burnley were more competitive than many other teams. And I don't want to criticise teams because they can only do what they can do with, with their own resources. But what we saw Huddersfield do, although they scored, is a classic Premiership game. Small team versus big team. Small team sitting in and doing the old Mourinho defensive block. Full backs narrow, wingers and 
making like auxiliary fallbacks and barricading the box. And so I'm glad when we get late winners. I'm glad when it hurts teams like that because it make them more adventurous. And as the fan, we will get a better product to watch. Yeah. We'll get a better games to watch when they realise that it's not working. So I don't care how unlucky it feels. I just don't care. I want them to feel the pain because they didn't really play us for long enough. Right. No. So um and that's that's just that's my personal views on, on football really. And you know look, I mean I, I think it is easy you guys to be critical of the team when the attacking performance is not as swashbuckling and and uh, is not as effective as we'd like it to be that lacks that cutting edge. But that makes it really easy to overlook what was, I thought, a very important, assured, confident, competent defensive effort on our part. I mean, I can think of way too many losses at places like Bolton Wanderers where the ball was just lofted into our box all game and we looked like Keystone Cops back there. And I think the first 30 or 40 minutes or so of this game could have gone that way. And it was the defensive effort that kept us in it. And then ultimately, our quality showed. I mean... XG is not everyone's cup of tea, I understand. But by any metric you look at, we created just enough chances to just about have won this game. They blocked some chances. We missed a few chances. There was a penalty we didn't get, and then ultimately the penalty we did. Tim, it's midweek football uh, this Mm. week. It's Huddersfield at home ahead of United at home. Mm. The manager has already come out and said Mesut Ozil is transferring. I I mean ill. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nobody panic. Um, So in your mind... Well, well, first of all, let me just ask it real quick. I, I don't want to dive into it. Any quotes, air quotes around Mesut Ozil being ill, or do you just believe it, take it at face value, and there's nothing more there? When I first heard it, I had very much had air quotes because uh, Ozil always seems to get ill when we have a, an away game up north. Um, but yeah. to be honest, the, uh, the the story that subsequently came out, that he travelled with the team, um, and then he was sent home and then we had to rush Ainsley Maitland-Niles up and he's not available for Huddersfield at home on Wednesday. So I I, I think the story kind of checks it out and I take okay. it at face value. I would like that to be the case and hopefully all's well for United. But then that raises the question, rotation. Um, mm. Obviously, I don't think you can go with Europa League style rotation against Huddersfield, um, no. even at home. What is the right amount of rotation and what do you suspect he will do? Um, I wouldn't rotate too much, actually, to be honest, because um, we've basically we've rotated in the Europa League to the point that a lot of these players shouldn't be. And I know we've got to take a longer view on it, but a lot of these players shouldn't be um, supremely tired. If we'd qualified for the Champions League, you know, the first team would have five more games in their legs, plus the travelling. Um, and yeah, it would be a lot more problematic. I, I wouldn't make that many changes, to be honest. I think who comes in for Ozil is is a very tricky question. I'm not sure whether Iwobi will get that chance again, and whether it will be Danny Welbeck or whether it will be Jack um, finally get his chance. Um, although I'm, I'm not that convinced he's been pushing that hard based on his performances so far. Um, but you know, I, that that's obviously a question. Other than that, you know, I, I don't think we need to break up that back three. Um, I don't know that we've really got anyone that we can bring in at wing back. That's maybe where I'd look at making a change if I thought we had a kind of good backup uh, there. But unfortunately, we don't really. Bad news, friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's a question of I wouldn't take Ramsey out because um, we're going to need 
that sort of firepower because Huddersfield are going to come and you'd think defending numbers. He, he's so the one you, you might want to rest, or, though, right? I mean, isn't Ramsey, yeah. because his running is so important, because you expect him to be up and down the pitch all game, because his third man runs are such a big part of how we attack, and because of the way United are constructed in midfield, I mean, is he the one that he might try to say, can I get away with El Nenny and Shaka and, and have a completely fresh Ramsey for the weekend? I, no, just because there's <laughs> cool. there's not enough there's not enough uh, firepower in that, and we're already without Özil. I don't think we can really afford to be without Özil and Ramsey for a Huddersfield team who are playing pretty well at the moment. They push Man City all the way on Sunday, and I'm hoping that tells on them um, come Wednesday night. And this one, we might have to be a bit patient and wait for that last twenty minutes. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't. I, I just don't think against a, an organised team like that we can afford to be without Özil and Ramsey at the moment. Um, what I'm quite interested in is I, I've got a feeling he might rotate Lacazette out. Um, whether that's for Welbeck or Giroud, um, we'll see. I, I, I wouldn't mind betting on either. Um, if, if there's going to be a rotation, that's where I see it happening. You don't think it could um, be well back be for Iwobi instead, and then he might say, you know what, Iwobi didn't give me enough be. cutting edge? Could be, could be, but I, I just wouldn't be surprised if Lacazette doesn't start if he's the one rotated out. I, I don't see, there's no way he'll take Alexis out, and nor should he. Um, we've already got a question over who replaces Ozil. I don't think he can afford to take Ramsey out. You know, the only other one you're really looking at is maybe he can rest Shaka and play El Nenny, for example. But like I say, they ha- they haven't been playing European football. They've been playing once a week. Shaka um, so, covers like two kilometers a game. What do you need to rest him? For? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's not. He's not exactly. I, I I think you're right. I think in the ordinary run of things, Ramsey might be the, the one you identify. But without Özil there, I, I think that's too difficult. With you're putting everything um, on Alexis's shoulders, then aren't you? <laughs> ex- exactly, exactly. Um, although Ramsey might make a decent impact sub. Um, as he did against Leicester on the first first game of the season, so I, I think it, I think Lacazette is is the potential uh, the potential one that Wenger looks to rotate. And Wenger didn't br- even bring Giroud on against Burnley, and we know how Wenger feels about Giroud. And you know he might he might I wouldn't be surprised to be started him almost by way of apology for um, you know for hurting his feelings on Sunday. See, I, th- I think Jack could get his first start, and I think it could be Wilshire yeah. and Alexis behind Welbeck. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that gives him maybe a little bit more creativity, and then he could go. I know there's a lot of rotation, but he could go El Nenny and Shaka and ask Jack and Alexis and Welbeck to try to pick the lock um, and know that he's got Ramsey on the bench, he's got Lacazette on the bench, he has some options to change the game. Um, I mean, I, the, the interesting thing is, look, I'm with you in this sense. These are players who are Champions League caliber players. They will have used, been used to playing two, three important games a week, right? Or two, two important games every seven days. I don't think it's too much to ask him to go with his first choice 11 on Wednesday and his first choice 11 on... Are we Saturday? Uh, yeah, Saturday. So, yeah. so, you know, Wednesday, Saturday. I don't, I don't think that's too much to ask. Um, I, I think, obviously, with Ozil not playing Wednesday, there's forced rotation right there in some respect. But, Clive, I mean, you have any, any difference of opinion as, as we finish up here? You think that's how we'll do it? Yeah, I I think um, one of the reasons why Ramsey's playing so well is because he's not playing three times a week. I would definitely have him on the bench. I just don't trust the old calves and hamstrings. And the only time he played, I think, a couple of times a week was for Wales, and we had to drop him for the next game. 
that he couldn't play. So I, I see him as very important. I, I fancy the three-five-two for this game. I fancy Iwobi oh, come on, to play. Good, I've, well, by, by that I mean Iwobi and Jack to play. I think Jack will take Ramsey's position and, and Iwobi play. And I, I, I'd rather see Welbeck and Alexis up front. I think Huddersfield are going to sit in. And I think we're going to have more of the ball. So the things that we're more concerned about where we saw the weekend in the first half are not an issue. I think Jack's due to start. I just see the rotation kind of thing. Manchester United is massive. His top six games at home are very important. The first team, our first 11, is so much better than anything else we have. And so we've got to do everything in our power to make sure that yeah. as much of that is out there as possible for Saturday night. Because let's be honest, the back five, d- dro- dropping points to Huddersfield at home is arguably worse than dropping points to you. I mean, look, I, I, I realize dropping points to United makes it harder to catch them, but like... Yeah. If if you beat United at home, but you rotated so much, you dropped points to Huddersfield at home. Like you, you kind of defeated the purpose, right? So we need these points first. Yeah. These are the first points. You are absolutely right, and um, I, I suppose I, I'm I'm saying what I'm saying, but I don't mind if I'm wrong. I think Manchester United play Watford away. I think in, in midweek, which is a really hard game, and um, and then they play us. So they've got a tough week. They can't afford to rotate, and we're at home. And everyone's going to expect us to win. So if we win and they drop points, that game's going to be really significant. and um, It's going to be significant anyway, and I, and I, I fancy us to win it. We all know the level we want to play on Saturday night. If that gets out there with the with level of fitness, and I think we've got a good chance. But, um, yeah, you're right. Well, you've got to I, do Huddersfield first. I, here's and, what uh, I would do. Important. I'd go 4-4-2. I'd play Mertesacker and Giroud up front and just pump balls into the box all day. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think Giroud may get some minutes. I, I think Is he fit? Playing. I think you can... Yeah, he's fit and he's sulking. He's broody. And I think you're going to get some... I think he'll get some time. Oh, and actually, so against a team that's going to be in there... <laughs> against a team that's going to be in their box, he's not a bad option, is he? It's not no. a bad option. So if there is a game to play him, this is the one. Cool. The only thing is, him and Alexis don't really flow together do they so um, it's quite frustrating to watch that partnership so um, looking forward we'll to him going full Europa League 11 and taking a 3-0 loss at home <laughs> in Huddersfield um, hey look just a final word and I think you guys would agree with this point uh, after the Ozil T-gate thing the club came in for a lot of criticism um, about doing a, a funny silly little reply to a journalist um, we covered it at length but the argument was they shouldn't have done it because they knew the abuse he'd get. And my argument was you can't stop posting the way you want to post just because there are bad people. And all you have to do is look at Arsenal's posts for the Rainbow Laces campaign and see all yeah. the hateful, horrible, homophobic, ugly comments posted underneath that to know that if we let that kind of behavior and that kind of sentiment, sentiment govern how we engage with each other, it will destroy the fabric of our society. Um, and so, you know, big kudos to, to Arsenal and to the Premier League and to the Rainbow Laces campaign and to all the people that celebrate inclusion uh, and, and oppose bigotry and, uh, and fear and, and all of these terrible things that, that seem so prevalent on social media. And I, I just wanted to put, point that out again because I think uh, it, is, it is a sad day if we stop saying the things we want to say or engaging the way we want to engage because of people that want to destroy uh, – destroy the conversation so you know of well course that's uh, well said well yeah, said proud of the club for, yeah. for for getting behind that campaign and uh obviously we hope to see more of it in any event um uh paul is gone that's why it's been so cheery around here uh tim is on twitter at uh, stilberto thanks tim 
My pleasure as always. Yep, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Yep, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us five and a half star rating on iTunes. If they won't let you do it, just keep smashing the screen with your thumb until it cracks. Um, in any event, we'll be back after Arsenal 10, Huddersfield nil to break down uh, Cochrane's double hat trick. Talk to you then. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.